All right. Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. And in today's episode, we are going to adopt the Dickensian Christmas spirit and uh, do the uh, ghosts of, of the past, present, and future for Alaska. We're going to look back at the... Mostly uh, the past. Look back at the year and, and uh, see what sort of uh, trajectory we're on for 2022. And we will do some some uh, prognostication. We will uh, look, our favorite ga- thing to do. Really. Gaze into the future and speculate wildly about what may or may not come to be. And um, yeah, and uh, we kind of broke it down into some categories here. And I think we're going to just start off by uh, jumping into uh, COVID, which is super fun. And have uh, you guys heard about this? Yeah. This is the thing that's going on, still going on. So 2021, we uh, we had like the sort of the false summer, right? We got the we we got the everyone go outside and hang out and and it's all it's all going away and we can live it our lives like this, again. Yeah, it's like magical, like three to five weeks, really, right? In like late June, July, where everything was looking all right. You know, I remember going out. We went to. Um, up to Fairbanks, we went to the Big Eye. It was a crowded bar, you know, and uh, you know people were wearing masks, kind of. And but you know, it didn't. It felt didn't feel like red alert for the first time in what it, at that point it had been like ten months or tw- uh, a year actually, and more than a year. And uh, and now it's all all back to the <laughs> back to what it was. And it's just I think like. If anything, it just feels exhausting at this point. Like, I'm just ready for it to be over, you know? And I think yeah. this whole idea, and this is, the 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 big theme about it, for me at least, has been, like, this battle with, like, disinformation and misinformation and, and, and lies. And, you know, this is also coming from a person who's been suspended twice <laughs> from Twitter uh, for covering people talking about, you know, disinformation in, in public uh, settings. And wait, so, so wait, how that works is, is you're covering a meeting and you're just live tweeting what they're saying and you type down person X said this and then you get banned because it's false or misinformation. Yep. Okay. I just, you know, it's caught in the automatic filter, I think. And so, um, you know, I, I think, it, it's one of the it just feels like it's um such an effective kind of tool to motivate you know anger and rage on one side of the aisle and it just isn't going away you know i think that is what's so frustrating it feels like you know it's kind of tearing like we're rattling ourselves apart over it in a lot of ways and um I'm just ready for it to be over, you know. I think I think everybody is. I think that's what is so frustrating to me is that there's this sort of like part of the conspiratorial thinking about it is that there's some faction of us that loves wearing masks and loves seeing businesses shut down and <laughs> loves, you know, all this sort of stuff and it's just like to me I think that's what's so frustrating is it's like COVID has sort of like led to this like abandonment of just sort of basic logic, basic sort of just sort of rationalization on on one side, and it just is really frustrating. And I think to me, yeah, it just this is the part that you can tell this is kind of dominated my entire year of like writing and political thinking and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but I feel like there's there's just a big fragmentation of where everyone's at, and so you know, like in my personal life, I found that 
kind of over communication has been the key is just making sure people are yeah that you're kind of you know hiking as fast as the slowest hiker that you're that you're making sure everyone's uh feeling comfortable and safe um and that you're not pushing anyone outside of their comfort zone and like that's kind of the sort of the approach that i'm trying to take is that it's you know i i can take certain risks for myself and and uh don't want to assume those risks for other people and so um and at the same time trying not to like spread or um you know i'm trying not to be a factory for new variants (laughs) you know like yeah um but yeah okay you know covid's covid's interesting and it's evolving and it's um that we 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 got to see delta and now we're on the very we're on the cusp of of omicron and um and i don't know how that's going to impact alaska yet but it feels like everywhere else it's starting to ramp up and that we're kind of behind this this wave but that it's sort of inevitable that maybe january Mm -hmm. as the legislature is coming together Maybe we'll be knee deep in the in a you know. Let me get my crystal ball out. Well, I mean, let me get my yeah, crystal ball then, out and say everyone in the legislature is going to have a really miserable January. Yeah, but I mean, by the time that uh, all these all the travelers from the lower forty eight will get back up from all these delays, I think that's that's probably will will it's it's when that's what's been delaying our surge. I bet everyone's just, just stuck everyone's outside. Everyone's in SeaTac, like making a big bubble of. Uh, new uh omicron variants and then they'll they'll arrive yeah i think like for me i think in the in the big picture COVID, i think really has like laid bare a lot about kind of how our society works how our sort of like public policy works how our political systems work which is you know i think we have always sort of our our sort of trained to view things in a, a sort of binary fashion it's either you know it's a zero-sum game always everybody you're either you know on one side or on the other and you know i think you saw that early on with you know the decisions between um the economy and the decisions between um you know health and public safety and, and it was you know originally sort of treated as you know you could pick one or the other but not both and you know, i think we're quickly finding out or sort of the last two years have proven is that you know one contributes to the other right if people are healthy and, and feel relatively safe then they're going to go out and go to the bar they're going to go on cruises with their you know they'll bring their their older parents up to alaska and take them on a little cruise and i think that's sort of the the thing that i think is is really you know interesting moving forward is just how we can sort of learn to step back from everything being uh, us versus them you know because i think the covid sort of misinformation is sort of the you know it's the sort of nexus point of so many other things right so you have like election conspiracy in there you have all sorts of stuff that's sort of tied up in that and it's hard to look away, right? I mean, I think that's sort of why it's sort of the first thing we're talking about here is that it's this, the thing that's sort of dominated all of our attention for the last two years and has sort of seeped into everything else. Yeah, I think I was looking into buying, buying a frying pan the other day, and and the uh, <laughs> and um, I'm not changing the subject. This is on topic. The um, I was I was I was looking at buying a frying pan the other day, and um, you know, you go online and you're like, what's the best frying pan? Just tell me the best frying pan because that's the one I want. And then you get like a bunch of sites that are like, these are the top 10 frying pans. And then you're like, well, obviously that company paid these guys to say the best frying pan is this. And and then you're just like in this morass of like reviews and like like astroturfed reviews and people that are like and, – and you very quickly – 
begin to suspect that you're being sold something that you're, you know, like, like I, I want the best frying pan, not this crappy frying pan that you paid someone a hundred dollars to say is the best. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that that's that kind of, uh, noise just infiltrates our, our lives because we have, we have so much information. It's this, this fire hose of information that we're drinking from. And so you can kind of get to the point where you're either exhausted by it and don't believe anything or, and you know, like you, you just fuck it. I don't want a frying pan at all. Or, um, you know, I'll just, you know, I'm just going to use the microwave, uh, but, or you, or you get to the, or, or, or I think you, you get to a point where you find your one trusted source and you really like, invest in that mm -hmm. source and so you know i think that's where we see people that are just like they just get their information from like fox news or from their buddy joe or whatever you know like um and 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 i and i think that's maybe the the dangerous thing is is that when we question people's motivations we don't we're not getting good information um and we have to question people's motivations so we're kind of stuck in this cycle of like where do i get my where do i get my where do i get my frying pan I mean, I think people are, are not well equipped. You know, the human brain is like not well equipped to to handle all this, right? And it, it's not just you know the 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 mountain of information, but just also like the constant feeling of like being afraid or angry. Like those are really like core emotions to like how we survived, and, and sort of they're kind of baked into yeah. our brains. That... And you sort of alluded to people putting that to work, to like making something out of that. You said like that there's, you know, as people sort of like play on that rage for political gain. It's like, it's almost like a job description for someone somewhere that like, okay, mm -hmm. your job is to find out like what one little thing annoys people and blow that up into like a rage ball so that we can like score political points. And it's not, I mean, maybe it's not quite as overt as that, but I think, you know, I, I've, you know, spent the last year, especially like, you know, I launched this newsletter. I've been a lot more engaged on how like Twitter is doing. The newsletters, like analytics are really like a lot better than most places. Um, Facebook, especially, you've been kind of digging around on that. And it's interesting just to see like what, like gets traction right and so i think there is a bigger discussion and i think maybe so blaming it all on like the individuals who are writing this stuff is like maybe is is not entirely fair because i think you look at how because you're one of those individuals <laughs> well that too but like you look at i you look at like how what kind of stuff gets traction right and and, and it's not just because that's what people are clicking on but it's it's like what the algorithms and the systems are encouraging people to click on right it sort of feeds like facebook and, and twitter and all these sort of places aren't a, a true marketplace they're you know kind of pushing you in a certain direction and, and i yeah. think um that's been i think really something to, to pay attention to and it, it for me it, you know it, it is interesting because i you know at in the content that i produce it yeah it would be really easy to spend every single day uh writing whatever angry post about you know Governor Dunleavy's response to the virus or Laura was the create latest crazy sort of social media post from Laura Reinbold or whatever the, you know, Anchorage mayor Dave Bronson has been doing. And I think that like, it's fine. Like if, if somebody wants to do that, but for me, like personally, I've found, I find it exhausting and kind of like a little like soul sucking and a little like sad. It's, it's sort of stressful to be like engaged in that level of thinking constantly right i think for me i've tried to definitely step back 
from the really reactionary, really inflammatory stuff. And, you know, sometimes I'll get into it because, A, it's fun, and, you know, it's just sort of, like, fun to clown on those people. But at the same time, I think it is it is sort of important as uh, a media producer to focus more on the sort of content and sort of messages that I, I feel are more, like, constructive, I guess. You know, I think doing this podcast with you and doing the newsletter have been both like really for me, like really good ways of, you know, trying to say like to myself, like, Hey, look, I'm going to try to find some positive in this or some reason to, to be, you know, positive or hopeful about the future, because it is, I think you look too, too long into these, like the, the anger machine and you get angry yourself and you get, kind of demoralized by yeah. it all right you look at it too long and you say well you become part of it almost right yeah you, you just get sucked into like you're looking for what's the what's the bad thing that they did and I, I think that it's important to start breaking apart some of that binary like us and them thinking mm-hmm. because we are because really we're all in us and yeah. it's 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 that's so weird that we're like two crosstown sports teams battling it out when there's such a diversity of opinion in, in, in the state. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about state government a little bit. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. Maybe I'll just like bullet read my like, little list of state government things and then we can kind yeah, of there's a lot of things in around. here that I forgot about and it's my job to cover this stuff. So really recently, um, and this is going to, I think have a big, big impact on the legislative session is that the, the permanent fund uh, corporation got rid of Angela Rodell sort of unexpectedly uh, without any kind of reasoning or public process. Um, so that's going to be, uh, that sounds like it's going to turn into an investigation and people will be trying to score points for the election of like, this person did something bad. And, mm-hmm. um, but also it's, it's sort of suspicious and weird. So that'll be a thing. Well, um, and it's like in, in the bigger element of, you know, the permanent fund corporation is doing really well and it's a bigger part of our budget than ever. And yeah, great job. Maybe, you're fired. It, it, maybe we can pay big PFDs now because the permanent fund corporation's done so well and now you're fired. And yeah. so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And we, there's like uh, the, the legislative budget and audit committee, um, like just released this like big request of, you know, for the permanent fund corporation to maintain documents and be interviewed and all this sort of stuff so it's gonna be pretty fruitful in 2022 hopefully okay so I, okay Maybe. there's the infrastructure bill that passed um all three of our congressional delegates uh supported that um even though it's i don't know even though it's apparently bad according to to people on the far right but the uh but it's bringing a lot of money to alaska it's the kind of sort of ted stevens era like let's get some pork help out the state it's gonna help out our economy and so like it seems like a pretty good thing we got a lot of money coming in um it's also uh federal funds are also forming kind of the basis of like the illusion that we have a a balanced budget again um it's kind of filling in the gaps a little bit um let's see okay should i just run down my list or what do we want? sure do let's we... do that yeah okay I'll, I'll pop in if there's something really interesting mr tito nothing okay mr right. T- mr tito was was uh dunleavy's dog was featured in a halloween advertisement i just don't want us to forget mr tito he's out there somewhere okay <laughs> ping pong gate uh there were there was the this is uh mid covid this was this year right 2021 yeah it was like the okay. beginning of session yeah Okay. The uh, there was a some people played ping pong. Oh no. Okay. Um, federal judge says <laughs> well, they didn't clean up after themselves, which is probably the biggest thing. That is actually or allegedly didn't clean up after themselves. 
federal judge says Dunleavy chief of staff violated constitution with illegal firings. Um, that goes back to when Dunleavy first came into office and was like, we're going to clean house and everyone who's not going to sign this loyalty pledge is out of here. And so if you're not on board with the Dunleavy vision, which is probably going to change a bunch and <laughs> then... yeah, like what is the vision? Yeah. I still don't really have a good sense of that. And it, yeah, it turns out that like compelling speech of government employees is like not a uh, okay thing. Yeah, weird. Who would have known? Um, it was a really strange strong arm tactic to like come out of the gate with, but it, it's also it was also reminiscent of how Bronson kind of came in. It'll be interesting to see if uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more about him later, but it'll be interesting to see if he sort of like mellows in the same way that Dunleavy did. Dunleavy, I can never say his name right. It's been four years. Okay, um, <laughs> Ryan. Uh, Senator Reinbold got to serve in the caucus of equals on the Senate Judiciary uh, as the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee and on, and, and on Legislative Council, and that was just a circus. Um, the, it was, was it, what did you call it in the comic, Re- Reinboldlandia? Yeah, uh, something like that. Yeah, I don't remember, but it was, uh, no, the land of Reinboldia or something. I don't oh, know. I don't a, remember, yeah. but it was, but it's just like, it's so bizarre. Um, you know, you've got there are certain legislators who I, you know, they get elected and they just are not qualified to do the work. And then through political necessity, they end up in a position of power and everything grinds to a halt. And we saw that with the, with Reinbold on judiciary where she just couldn't run a meeting and got just like took the committee in very strange directions and kept trying to like interrogate everyone, everyone over weird conspiracy theory stuff. Um, and it not only did it make that committee useless, it made a lot of other, com- it ate up a lot of time for other people too. And yeah, you know, I think she was eventually removed from the committee, which was like, I mean, that's a, a, that doesn't happen usually unless something like really wild happens, which is exactly what she did. And I think, and that what's so like wild about it too is I think in some ways she's like a really good like distillation of like what is happening to the far right. You know, you sort of see it in guys like Eastman and Kirka in the House and like others. She also very recently got dinged for blocking constituent or blocking people on on her on her official uh, social media accounts and, and deleting comments and. That's sort of like a well-established thing at this point of like you can't do that. You can't like delete someone's speech unless it's like a, you know, if it's protected by the free for the First Amendment, which disagreeing with somebody is, you know, protected. Um, but I think someone's response to it I, I really liked, which is area woman, passionate defender of what she imagines Constitution to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like exactly right here. I think there's just this like really bizarre idea of like what the U.S. Constitution and like these sort of liberties and all this sort of stuff means. And I think, um, I, I mean, I think, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Right. I think this sort of like unique sort of like fan fiction version of, you know, American civil civics is like here to stay. And I think that's just like one more piece of this, like COVID disinformation train. That's just going to yeah. keep on rolling. And right. We, we're here to fiercely defend the constitution, which we also want to rewrite because it's wrong. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's absurd. Okay, um, the uh, working down my list here, uh, the recall folded, which was really sad. Um, I I yeah, jumped one out for him. I jumped in in January um, after the January sixth uh, uh, um, 
uh, insurrection event at the Capitol. And I was like, oh, man, this sucks. We need to, like, do what we can on the home front and get rid of get rid of people who are going to um, who are going to encourage this kind of behavior and this kind of, uh, you know, attack on government. And so I was like, OK, we got to really get Dunleavy out of here. And I put a lot of time and effort into that and it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was uh it was i met a lot of good people and there are it made, it made me um i don't know it helped me see that there's a lot of really good folks in alaska who are kind of quietly working behind the scenes to hold things together and i like you know those folks don't get enough credit <laughs> um caucus of equals we talked about um let's see Oh, East, no, and and along those lines, uh, you know, speaking of the the insurrection, the um, David Eastman was outed as a member of the Oath Keepers. He attended the January sixth um, rally. Didn't um, go in apparently, well, but he yeah. did go get Slurpees. I did go. I I went through a lot of that footage looking for him in in that building. <laughs> I, was like, I don't know, man. And then uh, and then he and then he posted a awkward photo of him standing next to a Hitler quote, which was really exciting. And that's, I think, still on his website. So Mm. uh, and uh, his behavior has led to 70 West Point graduates uh, writing a letter uh, saying he should resign. And so that might be something that we see a little heat um, either during the legislative session. There may be some pressure to uh, censure him again or there may be uh, or, or something will or this will definitely factor in it to a campaign when he runs yeah. again. I mean, I think it's important too, to know that his little buddy, um, Chris Kirka, who was, re- uh, redistricted together with him or di- paired together. You know, they're now in the same house district. Thanks to redistricting is, uh, running for governor. Uh, it doesn't have a running mate yet, but he got a launch from, um, Joe Miller. And so that's something to keep an eye out for because I mean, honestly, I, we, we could get into the election stuff here, but you know, that's something that's going to not be insignificant, I guess. So it'll be something to watch. Okay. So let's, before we get into election stuff, let's talk really briefly about your neck of the woods. We've got, uh, Oh wait, we, we are also, the legislature was in session for a record of 212 days this year. Oh yeah. Collected a whole bunch of per diem while at it. So, And, and almost shut down the government. Oh, right. Yeah, that was the whole thing. That was, you know, so that I think that is what to me is like one of the most big highlights of this year and kind of like came and went. But like we really came it's, close to a government a, shutdown. It's such an easy thing to forget because it didn't happen. But it was like such an alarming thing that it could have like it almost happened. It was really close to happening. And, you know, the, the circumstances haven't changed that much. Right. So it's it's not like I feel like we just keep tiptoeing closer to the ledge and eventually fall over it. Right. Right. And so, you know, it's going to I think a lot of those sort of changes that sort of brinksmanship that was used last time, it, you know, was all over the effective date vote and all these sort of questions around that that are still pretty much unresolved um, are going to require if they want to kind of avoid the same sort of brinksmanship, which I think they should be, because I think there's no reason to assume that it's gone away that they got to like really change how they do the budget this year. So they have to like either pass it way ahead of time or, or whatever. And I think it's going to be, I think there's a lot of people that are thinking about how they're going to do things differently this year. And that's going to be a big one of them, but they need to pass it like 90 days before the end of the fiscal year or something like that. Right. To yeah. avoid the, I mean, it's so we're it's almost a, it's a, it's an incredibly tough lift. Yeah. I mean, we're almost guaranteed to run into that effective date problem again. 
because it was right. it is unresolved and uh Dunla- Dunlavy apparently chooses to interpret it the way he chooses to interpret it chose to interpret it last year. I mean he hasn't said yeah. just kidding last year was a joke. So uh the legislature is going to be in a tight spot on the budget because they're they're going to either have to have an overwhelming supermajority that says yes this is how it's working or they're going to have to have uh passed it really 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 early. Right. So, well, yeah, interesting. Maybe a they'll... position that I don't want to be in. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not in, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's going to be, that's going to have a big effect on the legislature this year. I wonder what they've, I haven't really talked to anyone about that. I wonder what they're planning to do. Do you know? No, I mean, they had this, you know, still, I think in a lot of early talks, you know, there was even talk at one point of like, you know, so that we, the governor's budget, right, is coming together or he released his, his proposal for it. It uses a lot of one-time money. So it increases spending actually with, not really any clear direction on like what the future looks like for any of it. So I wouldn't be entirely surprised if um, they throw that budget out and just ignore it or at least ignore large parts of it because um, you know, that's, I think there's a lot, very little trust between the legislature and, and the governor on when it comes to the budget. So they, I mean, they've, they've explicitly said before that they, some of them have said, you know, like, look, we might just ignore you next year. Um, right. And that was sort of during the very worst of it. And so, but, you know, Senate, there's Senate some like, finance, right? Senate yeah. finance said like, and there's some, yeah. and there's some big assumptions that they're making in here too, that, you know, really rosy oil forecast, really rosy um, investment um, market returns, all that sort of stuff is not, you know, I think it, it's sort of, it's like, if you want to buy into the story that everything's fine, and everything's going to go just well, you know, swell over the next couple of, the next decade, then like this budget's all right. But if you, if you, if you kind of want to take a more sort of safe approach of, you mean hey, a more conservative not, approach, more conservative say? approach yeah. where it's not like if, if the oil economy or investment economy goes South, like we're not totally underwater immediately. I think that's like, so I, yeah, I don't know what direction it's going to go into because again, it's an election year and, you know, nobody likes making tough decisions in an election year, which is every other year. And, uh, and also the, you know, there's sort of the potential to spend a whole bunch of money, which is always sort of popular. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting trade off of like, how much do we give Dunleavy just so we can get out of here and start our own campaigns versus how much do we want to write this budget ourselves? And, right. uh, Everyone except for Donnie Olson is going to be every seat is up, right? right. Un, under the current redistricting, unless redistricting changes, and that's <laughs> that could happen, right? I mean, yeah, there's so right. there's you've been paying a little closer attention than I have, but like there's a, there's lawsuits and and uh, yeah, it could change like, significantly. We don't you know. really uh, history would tell us that it won't change dramatically because it's just difficult to rewrite an entire plan in the course of like um, a, a week, month or yeah. a month, whatever time that they will have. Um, but uh, yeah, it could change pretty, you know, Senate pairings I think are something that certainly could change. Um, that could have a really big impact, especially in Anchorage. Um, there's some stuff in the Matsu that could change there too. There's like stuff all around the edges that could potentially change. I um, feel like we're 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 just gravitating towards elections, so let's just lean yeah, into it. Yeah, let's just got, lean into it. So yeah. so the 2022 elections are going to be uh, a big deal, but both because um, ranked choice voting will be um, on the ballot for the first time um, because of redistricting. Uh, we've just done our, our census. Oh, there and, is, a, but there is the uh, Supreme court oral arguments in early January that are trying to throw out big portions of it. So of, uh, ranked choice voting. 
Yeah. Or of oh, interesting. Okay. Specifically, yeah. I think it's all really related around to the governor element, where you know in the Constitution it says where the the winner of the governor is the one that has the most votes, and so there's sort of questions about how that potentially interacts or doesn't interact with ballot measure two. So right. So probably not going to see a big change for state house or or senate or anything like that. We're gonna or congressional delegates. We're, we'll just see potentially something that impacts the way the governor's race works potentially and i it, it sort of you know this is like a long shot case being brought by yeah. the libertarian candidate so uh right. i don't know how much stock to really give it at this yeah. point so they don't it's not like big guns with lots of money it's just sort of a couple people that are like well yeah. maybe we can let's throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks okay all right so we've got that coming up um we're gonna have a very um we're going to have a very vigorous race for, for Senate between uh, Murkowski and Shabaka and whoever else jumps into that race. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what that top four looks like and how that impacts the race. Um, same thing with Don Young's race. Um, you know, he, he's, uh, I don't think, I still don't think there's a Democrat in either of those mm-hmm. races, which is kind of surprising to me. You, know, you think that like after years of just being kind of, strategically forced into running independent candidates that progressives in Alaska would be excited to, to put some actual progressive values on the ballot, but apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't know. It's, it's very strange to me that, that no one has like that for statewide races, the only person with like even a, a hint of progressive values is less Like it's, and yeah. I guess Bill Walker to some extent has, he's like, has some, I guess for Alaska, maybe a little bit progressive, but yeah, at the same time, he's, you know, he's a Republican and it's not, uh, I don't know. It's very strange to me that, that there, there aren't, uh, you know, the, the systems of the world haven't ground the gears together to produce the ultimate candidate, but, I know there's a lot of good people out there. I'd love to see him run. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to be, I mean, the whole strategy, right, of of how these elections will work is going to be really, like, interesting because we don't really know. We kind of, we haven't had any, there really aren't any other election systems that are exactly the same, like, options that we've um, enacted, right? So, yeah. Um, well, so our top four primary, and I, let's let's talk about it a little bit because I don't think yeah. it's well understood. So we have a top four primary. That means that a bunch of people can run in the primary election. You can you vote for your favorite. You just vote for one person, and the person and the the, the four people that have the most votes go on to the general election. And what that means is that that mathematically, in most districts, there's going to be someone that's a little more conservative and someone that's a little more liberal, and and some people kind of in between, um, just sort of based on how the population or district shakes out. So if you're in a, if you're in Juno, you're probably going to have, um, you know, your, your top four candidates for a house race m- might look a little more, uh, progressive. You might have like an independent and a couple Democrats, uh, on the ballot and maybe a Republican. Um, and it, and the, the flip would be true. Like if you're out in Wasilla, um, you know, you'll have much more conservative candidates, but there's still room for a Democrat on the ballot because let's say there's, you know, if, if, 30% of your of your population if a if a minority of your population uh, votes one way but is a is a big enough mass to to put their candidate up uh, in that top 4 it's def- it, they're still going to it's still going to work out so mm-hmm. i think that it's going to i think it's going to be it'll be interesting to see how it works like 
in nature, like in the real world. But, um, but I think that kind of theoretically, the top four system should be a good way to get to, to four candidates that are, that are, that are viable and competitive. Mm -hmm. And then the general election is, oh, do you want to say something about the primary? Well, yeah. So the, the, I mean, the, the kind of where it all comes down to me, I think is like, do these candidates materialize, right? Like that's sort of, you know, I think like ideally you would have like a great pool of candidates to be picking from, but you know, a, you got to get people into the race and B, I think like there's <laughs> some levels of like, you know, still coordination, I think that go on between this. So, you know, maybe yeah. there are two great Republicans that are looking at, you know, that Fairbank seat that um, Representative Thompson is likely to is, is announced he's going to retire from. Um, you know, hopefully there's a big pool of candidates that will be looking at it. But you know, does does somebody have a talk with somebody and decide not to run? You know, that kind of stuff is sort of that's what's sort of interesting to me, and I think is sort of the element that's sort of un, untested right now is what kind of like approach does do candidates and, and also sort of the political machinations take. Uh, uh, in, in fielding candidates for this sort of stuff. I think the way it should go would be to put your name down for the primary. And if you get selected for the general election, then throw your back into it. You know, like mm -hmm. it doesn't really cost much time and energy to, to just put your name out for the primary. If, if you're like, listen, I'm, I'm interested in this. If you're interested in me, then advance me to the general election. And then I'll put some effort into campaigning. You know, I, I, right. I kind of think that's how primaries should work. You know, it shouldn't be, in the past, we've had the primary election is where the election has been decided. And so you've got this minority of voters, you know, that are allowed to vote on this one ballot and the decisions made in the primary that happened here, you know, in, in Juneau, mm -hmm. it was like we had all these Democrats running and one independent. And so all the Democrats ran against each other in the primary. And there was all this, you know, all this discussion about and then the, the winner just went on and won the election and yeah. it wasn't a big deal. And so I think this moves the fight to the general election, which is a better place for it. It's more visible. Mm -hmm. It's more public. Um, and everybody gets to weigh in on it, right? Yeah. Like in Anchorage or Juno, wouldn't you want everybody to, but that's the thing, right? Is that the, the semi-closed primary system that we, we had, you know, a lot of these, most of these races are decided by the primary voters, right? Everything out in Wasilla, you know, and everything, but pretty much just like a few, very few districts, are all decided in the primary. And so right. having that move forward not only gives everybody an opportunity to decide, you know, to do it, but also, you know, a greater sort of selection of candidates once you get there too. Yeah, and I think people are going to stumble into it and make some mistakes this year. I think people aren't going to understand the differences. Um, and I think that's going to, like, some people who maybe would be good candidates are going to have trouble because they're not approaching it you know, they're, they're running under the old election system. Um, mm -hmm. but I think people who sort of, uh, understand this election system are, are, and, and see how important it is to get those number two votes. Um, I think those people are going to do really well. And what that takes is a little bit of like collegiality and a little, and a little bit of, uh, you know, being we have plenty to, of being plenty open to collegiality. Yeah, I yeah I well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I hope that it I hope that it bends us in a little bit more uh, com communal direction that we can talk to each other and you know accept a you know like oh good I got my second choice that's great. Um, I think I'll be a lot happier getting my second choice than my fourth choice, right? Right. So um, okay, 
so elections um what else we've got um uh redistricting and, and we've done a whole episode on this, yes. so we don't yes. need to go into too many details. <laughs> but but like right now, it's in the courts, and mm-hmm. and you've been following that. So I guess what's well, I'd like kind of the update on like what's happening since we last re- reported on yeah. this, right? So wh- where are we at now? So there's a big, really, what's going on at this very moment is there's sort of a big fight over access documents, um, sort of the the work product and and how the let how the redistricting board reached the decisions that they reached, who were they were talking to, that sort of stuff. That's happening on a really expedited process. So kind of by reference, you know, most redistricting lawsuits are about six to seven months. That's very fast. Uh, We're getting this done in about six weeks. Um, And so there's a lot of like just a lot of speed there. Um, the, The thing to kind of keep in mind with it is that, you know, I think there's stuff that you look at and you would say, oh, that's wrong. How could you know, East Anchorage ever be paired with Eagle River. But the problem is that there's sort of like a big gulf between like what feels right and what is actually allowable under like the constitution and the laws that that sort of rule this process. And so, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, you might look at some stuff as like a slam dunk. Oh yeah, this for sure they're going to overturn this. And then they're, you know, they might look at it and say, oh, actually you didn't follow step two of the six step pickle process. And therefore, the plans move. And so there's that. And then there's also just the issue of like, how much will the board actually meddle with the maps ahead of the redistricting or ahead of the elections? Their time is really ticking right now on it. Right. And so, so they I, might you just know, get to the big stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, the stuff that's like clearly unconstitutional and also like easier to fix. So like the Senate pairings, if they end up doing something on them, which it's anybody's guess, um, would be probably the one that would be doable. Yeah. Because if you, because looking at the lawsuits, like things like shuffling Valdez around takes a lot of other changes to a lot of other districts. And that takes a lot of time and a lot of input. And so then all of a sudden you're bumping up against the constitutional deadline for having an election. And I'll, I'll yeah. So yeah. that makes, that makes sense. So we'll, we'll probably see, we'll maybe, we'll maybe see some changes to the, to the districts before the election. But, uh, unlikely would you say unlikely to see big changes to the shape of the house districts specifically i think like anything that's going to take new maps is going to be a big process that i think that the courts would probably shy away from ordering especially when by most accounts most of the maps are are pretty good you know i think that's kind of that's sort of the the problem with it is that it's just sort of a math and and geometry problem on some level that doesn't have a good answer okay so uh, let's see what else for 2022 elections. We've got um, campaign limits have been overturned, um, and so and then sort of reinstated, kind yeah, of. Yeah, but it's there's a question as to whether that's actually hold holds any you know whether there's actually any ground to stand on there. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, big majorly, yes. So we may just have no campaign limits by the time campaigns come around, which will be very interesting because the. I feel like when money, when we treat money as speech, we don't all get to speak at the same volume. Um, you know, like I, it, it just really sucks. It mm-hmm. just, it's just, it's really bad when we're like, okay, freedom of speech, and the people with the most money get all of the freedom. Right. Yeah. And, so, and, and any, and I think that the the court ruling on it sort of supposes that the 
that the legislature would be able to quickly and you know cleanly pass some sort of update. No way. Zero, almost zero chance of that happening. I mean, the governor just introduced an elections bill that didn't include anything about uh, campaign finance limits. So uh, I think it just gives you an idea of like just how little interest there really is in, in just touching election stuff and, and, and money in politics. Because, again, you're asking the people that are that benefit from having money in politics to limit the thing that benefits them. So that was um, super weird because that was tied to. So Kevin Meyer, who's the who's the lieutenant governor, it was just so I felt so bad for this guy. He just got really done dirty by the Dunleavy administration where. The, yeah. You know. I mean, what, it just, ex- what excuse do we have to get rid of this guy? Yeah, and and like the the claims, I mean, it just doesn't doesn't really stand up. You know, like people have run campaigns as lieutenant governor before, and it's like, yeah, right. Yeah. Is he establishing a precedent? Is he saying that all lieutenant governors should never run again? Like, what is you know? It's a and furry... also, I mean, frankly, how much does the lieutenant governor actually do when it comes to running the elections? I would hope that most lieutenant governors aren't that involved in running no, elections. I would think that aren't. most of them are, you know, most of it's being handled by the elections director, which I think it is. I think, yeah. So anyways, it's just, we could, we could spend all day yeah. breaking this down, but well, he's going to get to spend more time with his family. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's elections. Are there more elections things you want to talk about? Is there any specific race that you're excited about or any, um, any anything that you're i guess we haven't really talked about the constitutional convention yeah that's that's on the ballot it's just a I, nightmare it's just something that it's a big monster that like are we gonna let the monster out of the cage yeah like maybe well we shouldn't okay yeah. that's all i have to say about that <laughs> <laughs> i think as far as the, the really interesting elections i am really interested to see how the gubernatorial election plays out I yeah. think you know you got Dunleavy, you've got um, Walker coming back at it. You got Lascara, you've got um, Christopher Kirka on the right, who couple, like couple kind of is actually making like it is you know is that sort of like extraordinarily extreme right element, but it's very interesting just to see kind of like you know them come out swinging at Dunleavy. You know that they yeah. that they're they've got Dunleavy in their sights as far as like the criticisms and honestly a lot of it kind of i it lands like i i think that it's just a really interesting dynamic and i think it's made more interesting by um ballot measure two because the path for this guy to make it to the general election and sort of stay involved in forums and get attention and everything like that is pretty high and it's the sort of thing where you would normally write him off as a guy who's just gonna you know his his stop is gonna be in the primary and that's it but um so yeah that's gonna be really interesting and and two you know there's certainly more potential for other people to get into the race too and so just all of that coming together is to me gonna be really interesting to see and again too i would really i really want to see what race comes down to rank choice voting right like what rate what races are ultimately decided by that right because you look at you know the the U.S. Senate race or, or Dunleavy or any of the legislative races, and it's like it's totally possible, right, that Dunleavy gets fifty two percent of the vote, and we you know it's not even was never an issue in the first place. But um, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see just how those play out. You know how many races really do come down to that wire, and and, and what are the results of it, right? And you know, how does that end up shaping things? Because you know there's a couple of races even this last time that people looked at and said. Uh, you know, it probably would have gone a different way if ranked choice voting had been in play. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, I can't wait to see just how that plays out. I'm 
a little still, you know, nervously terrified that it's all going to get much worse. But that's just sort of the nature of politics, right? I, I think the House race could be really interesting. Don Young's race. Um, you know, I think that if if a couple of good candidates got into that race and were really serious about it, I think it could be you'd have three people pointing at Don Young saying this guy needs to go and I'm the one that needs to replace him. Um, and I don't, I don't think he'd survive that. I think that he's been really good at head to head races, but I don't think that he would be particularly good at, especially, you know, I mean, especially at his age, I don't think he'd be really good at, I don't think he'd be good at fielding criticisms from kind of both sides. Like he's going to get the, he's got Nick Begich in the race already. Um, who's probably going to make it to the general election and that's going to force him in a certain direction. And then if you have some good uh, left-wing candidates, then it kind of boxes him in mm-hmm. uh, similarly to how Dunleavy is. So I don't know. I think that that race could be really good. I, I really want someone to get into that race that is not Nick Begich and is not Don Young. And I would, yeah. you know, so please, please run if you're thinking about it. I think the biggest problem with our congressional um, seats is that there aren't a lot of Alaskans who want to leave Alaska that like, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you get to, you get to go live in Washington, DC, you know, scenic, beautiful concrete jungle. Right. So yeah. it's, one um, person wants, I mean, Kelly Shabaka wants to go back to DC. Well, she much. never really, she never really <laughs> came to stay. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure her bags are still packed. The, I don't know. It's, <laughs> she, she came and did the, at the Dan Sullivan where you come and stick your toe in the water and then go home again. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, do we want to talk about Anchorage at all? Yeah. Let's yeah, like, just, it's just really it's, briefly. It's I think speaking about dark existential threats to what Alaska is. It's, it's Anchorage. So, it's so, you know, it's half of our population in one city. It's a, it's kind of a gravity. Well, you know, someone gave me the Christmas gift of, of on Twitter saying, I don't understand why people outside of Anchorage don't like Anchorage very much. And I was like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, I have to bite my tongue a lot when I'm talking about Anchorage. Cause Marion lived there for, a, for about a decade and loved it. And um, it was a big part of her life. But you know, for, for me, it's always been um, it, it, it's, it's this gravity uh, problem where you have, it's so big um, and it's mass pulls us all along with it. And so Everywhere outside of Anchorage has to kind of be aware of what's happening in Anchorage and has to um, it has to sort of respond, be responsive to it. And the people inside of Anchorage, there's so much going on that I think that Anchorage is very Anchorage centric. It's focused on itself. And it's it's not through any sort of like in, intentional exclusion or, um, you know, it's, it's not through malevolence. It's not being evil or anything, but I think that it just overlooks its impact on everyone around it. It's sort of the bowl in the China shop. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's this concept of center periphery where the, this center holds a lot of the power and, and chews up a lot of the resources on the periphery. And that's what Anchorage is, right? It's, it's built on revenues extracted from rural Alaska. Um, and it kind of sits high on this throne, um, with yeah, a huge, think, huge population. Like, and from like a, a profession or career sort of standpoint too, I think like a lot of my friends and myself, you know, in, in that lived in Fairbanks for a long time, you know, it's a difficult job market there. Right. I think in Alaska, we have this problem, especially like in media, that sort of professional creative services sort of thing is that like, you know, there's not, not a lot of, well, first of all, like to, usually to get a raise or to be advanced at all, you have to 
go get a new job. Like that's just usually right. rarely are getting raises within or promotions within your company, right? And so for a lot of people, that just means moving to Anchorage. And I think it's it's our one big city. Yeah, and it's I think it's it's you know it's a tough sort of thing because you know I I you know was one of the the you know, I took it personally when a lot of like reporters would leave the news miner and go work in Anchorage. You know, it was sort of like you see him as like going to work in the Borg, right? And but yeah. on the same time, it is where a lot of the opportunity is for young people, especially. I think there's a lot of other a couple, of, you know, there's other places where it is, but I think you look at Anchorage or Fairbanks, for example, in the media element, it's like you can work for the news miner or the radio station would of which there are never any rarely any openings or go work at the university of which where all the seats are currently held by former news miner people so i think like there's some element of i don't know i'm getting off on a diatribe here but <laughs> i i would say there are also two other things that that you know anchorage has sort of siphoned um the seat of government from Juno and it has siphoned the seat of the university from Fairbanks. And mm-hmm. I think that those are two contentious things that, that aren't really acknowledged. Um, you know, Anchorage is like, what we, we deserve a university. And it's like, well, yeah. yeah, but you kind of like took it at the expense of what was, you know, what was really happening in Fairbanks. And so, um, you know, I think that the, the resource absorption problem is, is not necessarily intentional, but is, is very real. Anyways, um, so anyways, so, so let's talk about what's going on in Anchorage now that we all have to pay attention to because we're all tied and tethered to the gravity of Anchorage. And that is Dave Bronson and Jamie Allard and uh, save, know, Anchorage. What's hap- save Anchorage. Yeah. And uh, which is sort of this weird astroturfy group. It's like, um, you know, uh, the the Blue Alaskan did a, a thing on this and. Uh, has documented really well like oh all of these people who are are like political movers and shakers on the far right have joined this facebook group early on and invited each other and then it sort of ballooned up as a you know as a astroturf grassroots movement right Mm -hmm. and so like it's a really strange thing and going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode where you're sort of manipulating people's anger for political power right and political points and so that worked really well and they got dave bronson elected and um and he's come storming in with all the like vigor of of early dunleavy um i don't know if he'll peter out in the same way or or moderate but he's doing some weird stuff and the whole thing with like the the fluoride in the water like that he turned off and and lied about and then yeah came clean but still is coming clean, still had several lies in it that were easily disprovable. Yeah, and then the police thing seems super weird. Police like, thing, um, yeah. Halcrow just did an a, a, a episode on the police, and he was talking about this, like, you know, club within the police that's all sort of beholden to Anchorage Baptist Temple. I don't know. You know, none of this is, like, verified by, a, you know, journalism, but it's, uh, but it, but it all seems very shady and weird and, um, and it feels like it's going to be a big part of our next year ahead is, is watching all of this kind of unravel and watch, you know, there's already been a huge amount of turnover in the Bronson administration. There's a lot of sort of like uh, what looked like uh favorite job, favorite, you know, like, Hey, thanks for helping out. Oh, the campaign. Like very, yeah. For- <laughs> more, even worse. You know, that's the thing is that like, I thought Dunleavy was bad about it, but he was, you know, by comparison, he, he was much, you know, at least they were like, 
clever about some of the weird sort of friend, you know, favoritism they were doing. But this is like, you know, openly out about it. Like they had early on, they were like, there was literally somebody who they said, like, give this person a job because they were good on the campaign. And, you know, someone called the whistle on it and then they got fired and the guy who was getting political payback got her job. And it's just like, what is going on here? And I think like, um, it's very strong man government. It's yeah. really weird. And it's frustrating too because again, this is one of those things that like gets somehow turned into like a both sides issue so frequently, you know, where it's like, you know, oh, that liberal Anchorage assembly which for the record, not very liberal actually. Not like pretty middle of the road. There's a couple very liberal people on it, but pretty middle of the road otherwise. And so um so that's what's sort of frustrating to me about it is it just feels like the goalposts are like getting like not even they're not even on rocket skates they're like on a solar sail just like getting faster and faster for all you know and so i i know i I think it's really just a lot it's just a lot and it just feels like they somehow manage to just make new messes every week too this idea i think there's a really to me really informative quote that the mayor gave like earlier on which is essentially like if I wake up in the morning and the left or the Anchorage Assembly at the very least isn't mad at me, then I'm not happy. And it's just like that's that's your that's one of like this guy's main the philosophical for, points. Yeah. And I think like, you know, <laughs> and I think it really is translated pretty clearly into how this guy has run the office. And I think that's why, like, you know, the rise of the far right in, in these House elections or in, or in the legislature in general is like pretty alarming right and it's why you see i think a lot of the moderates or even some liberal people being like oh we love kevin meyer you know we love lieutenant governor kevin meyer such a great guy and it's like no he wasn't really that great you know he was just another conservative guy out there he's just he just didn't want to burn the house down you know and it's like i think so you know i i think with bronson for me one of the real interesting things to see moving forward is just like how willing are other republicans to be, you know, to say like, hey, let's not burn down the city to own the libs. But like, we really haven't seen that in any sort of like significant way so far. And so, you know, I think that's what is so interesting is just how you know, he's like owning the libs. And that's for some people, that's all that matters. And I think, um, I don't know, you know it's a bummer. I, I think there's like a huge opportunity cost with these sort of things, right? Like, we're in a pandemic, we would I sensibly like to not be in a pandemic and have some economic recovery. And I feel like, I, I, I feel like there's a, a thing that's happening in the left right now too, though. That's, that's frustrating for me. And that's the, the tendency to be like, I didn't get the thing that I want. So, okay, let's burn the house down. Like, mm-hmm. like these guys, these guys are obviously trying to burn down the house. Um, but I didn't get the thing that I want, so I'm so great. Let them burn down the house, and I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the problem, right? Is that I think both sides, both. Aha, uh-huh, yeah. But I yeah, do think, see, I do think, see, now <laughs> yeah, I do think people are kind of guilty of of viewing their opponents, especially their political opponents, as like monolithic first of all and 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 as bad as their worst actors right and so i I think that's what uh, one of the lines i I keep on saying is like you don't need to be a racist to get 
low, you know, friendly business tax policy, right? Like we can, yeah. that's, I think we can at least sort of look into some of those. I think I would wish people saw more of the nuance in it, which is why going back to ballot measure two, I think it's like a good thing, right? You can, now you're going to have two options for, you know, low oil taxes and one of them's going to be a race and one of them's going to be, you know, friendly to business, right? And, and you can have an option for your low oil taxes. You don't have to necessarily throw in with the David Eastman's to protect your oil tax policy. And so, uh, you know, I, I'd hope there's more room along those lines for some space. Um, but again, you know, I, I do, I agree with you too. I think, you know, I watch the Anchorage Assembly meeting sometimes and I go, oh, I understand why people hate them. Like, I totally understand it because they are like these horribly pedantic. Like they are these kind of, there's some things in there that is like, kind of this um like logic lord i'm smarter than you i you know so it's like do we want to hear these next three people talk or do we need to have a conversation about whether or not we are even allowed to violate this law that says that it has to end at 6 p.m it's like who cares and i think that's sort of this sort of thing where it is you know it goes back to to like what i was talking about with you know do i want to write a blog post every day that is about the latest crazy thing someone said and it's like yeah, that can that, but that like fuels, I think, that level of like division, I think. And so, I don't know. I think it's like incumbent on everybody to like just not rise to that anger as much, right? I think we're all kind of guilty of like just getting really angry about something really quick. And it's like, I don't know. Like, can we just not get angry for a couple days at least? Like, we all, it's almost like how I feel like with a lot of the watching the Anchorage Assembly stuff is that like, everybody kind of sucks on it everybody's kind of being a little pedantic and a little bit of like holier than thou and like it doesn't doesn't help it was like if we could just take a week off or a month off and just all just like chill out that'd be great you know just think about like what matters like why some of this stuff like why does it even matter on on both sides of it is like i just don't understand why like why everybody needs to get mad about something yeah, but I, at the same time, like, I do understand why people need to get mad about things, right? I mean, like, yeah, like, like, there's the I mean, like, yeah, I'm coming Jamie... from an incredible point of privilege here, right? Because it, like, well, these, no, pri- these sort of like things, are, you know, some of these decisions they're making are not like life or death for me, but they are life or death for other people. And so like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I don't know what happens with Anchorage. I think it's just going to just get like weirder and weirder, right? We've, we've already gone from like, you know, defending Nazi license plates and wearing stars of David. And like, I don't know, like where, where, like, where you go from there. I hope that we don't have as many, there were super heated assembly meetings last year. And I don't, I hope that that doesn't happen, but it, it feels like it's going to just continue. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what is interesting about it is there, you know, there is a concentration of like people who aren't well that are like, you know, filling these up and, and dominating a lot of attention. And, and I think a lot of people look at it and, and that's actually the, the, the little bit of hope I think to pull out of any of this is you look at how the rest of the state's like municipal elections went after all the math, you know, get and Fairbanks had some, Juno had some, a couple other places had fall elections and Fairbanks yeah. to me is really interesting because they had like this four or five year slide where after going from like almost a complete, you know, progressive hold on the assembly there had like almost, I think it was five, four, I think by the end of it. Um, and they were looked, you know, and it looked continuing, but then I think a lot of people looked at what was going on in Anchorage, which was just happening in Fairbanks too, and said, 
Hell no. You know, right. And I think it's it's that center periphery thing. It's we're on the periphery and we're looking at the center. and We're like, oh, that didn't work out very well for them. Let's not do what they're doing. Right. And I think so. I think that I I mean, I I would be I would really be great if some of the people I've I've heard stories about, like, you know, conservative boosters who are, are pretty reliably, you know, help sort of drive elections. They're looking at Anchorage and going, no, we're not going to elect Lance Roberts and this other lady who's a QAnon supporter. Like, we're going to let's pull the plug on these people. And so a lot of the votes that were cast for the progressive members were really protest votes cast against Lance Roberts and the QAnon stuff. So, you know, wouldn't it have been great if there was a middle candidate who would have actually represented some of those protest votes a little better um, instead of having up with like a hard progressive you know, at least from that, that you know, I I don't mind that outcome, but I think that that's something that yeah, hopefully maybe I not think as representative of the community, right? I think that was you know, I think it would be hopeful that you know candidates are looking at that as they're as they're examining these kind of races. You know that you know if you're not happy with being represented with David Eastman, you know maybe there's someone who's you know he's still right a center that is out there that could you know be more productive and more you know representative of the entire community. So. I think in representative government, it's also important to remember that it's possible to represent the the community that elected you as best you can while holding entirely different personal beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that the and I don't, I guess I don't know anyone who personally who does this really well, but like, but I think there are people that have had. Uh, a career as a politician and done as a politician things that they might not do if they were just making decisions for themselves. But because they care about their community and know their community and communicate with their community, they're making decisions for their community. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, doing that kind of governing governance that repre- is represent truly representative um, or as representative as, as it can be, um, you know, that's, that takes a lot of hard work is to step outside of your own personal beliefs and to do that. So like Mayor Bronson's a good example of that. He was elected in a very narrow election. It was by no means an overwhelming mandate. He should be governing more towards that middle. You know, he should be looking to, uh, Forrest Dunbar and, and saying like, okay, mm-hmm. well, what, what is it that he had right? And what can I adopt and, uh, and and moderate from his viewpoints and and what can I do to kind of like represent the the people who elected me but also the people who didn't elect me, right? But he's not doing that. He's not doing that. <laughs> because it's the thing is that the system, especially like at you know especially the primary system, doesn't really reward bipartisanship, right? Because the the voters you have to answer to, at least you know in, in a lot of those races, in most districts aren't you know traditionally right aren't everyone it's you're talking it's about in a closed voters. primary yeah. yeah so this yeah which is which is which is why i'm so elated that we got rid of the closed primary right well, good yeah. riddance yeah so all right well okay so other oh, interesting things it's all, other, really the, the, our whole thing is ballot measure two pretty cool well wait yeah and that's all speculative but it's all speculative anyways <laughs> man i should ballot measure two probably pretty cool um so Interesting things in the woodwork that kind of don't fall into the categories that we already talked about, um, sort of like arts and culture and, and general uh, stuff. I, you know, one thing that that uh, popped its head up this year that I thought was really interesting was the Whisper Network in Alaska that, that kind of went public. There was a, a huge list, hundreds of people that were put on this list of um, 
accused um, accused of sexual assault, accused of, of domestic violence, um, various things. But um, this to me was a, it sort of filled a need that, that Alaska wasn't dealing with. Right. And so there for, for whatever reason, people who are victims weren't feeling heard. And so they basically went public with this huge list of, of men. Um, well, mostly men and, and I don't know what form that takes, but I feel like something's, I feel like there's more to come. I feel like that's the, kind of the tip of a much bigger iceberg. And so I think in, you know, in the year to come, I think we're going to see more um, development and more maybe, I don't know if formalization, uh, if that list becomes something or if, or if, or if it kind of at least starts a conversation, but I think that there's going to be a lot more um, attention paid to essentially that problem that that list is pointing to. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I think it would, to me, you know, I think there's a lot of discussions about, you know, publishing anonymous claims, but I think what the really important thing to keep in mind is that you know, these are people who feel like the system for whatever reason has failed them. And I think that's a really important conversation to be having moving forward is like, how do we, how do we make a world where people don't feel like they have to resort to anonymous claims? How do they feel, how do we ensure that people are getting the kind of due process that they are due, right? And I think we need to be looking at, you know, the criminal justice system from top to bottom, but also just sort of like every everything, you know, the resources we make available to survivors, the way we treat um, people and treat their claims and, and all of that is just really this really interesting question and problem that we need to solve. Because I think as long, you know, it kind of goes into a lot of the issues around like criminal justice in general, which is like, it's not fair, right? Like there, you know, the system is not set up to treat everybody the same and to treat everybody's claims and, you know, the same. And you look at, you know, you look back two years ago, right? When you had, um, the, the Anchorage judge who was not retained because, um, you know, he let that guy off with an easy sentence. Uh, and just the whole, you know, the way that the prosecutors failed to even try to contact the victim and how it led to this guy who kidnapped a person and sexually assaulted them uh, to walk off pretty easily. And and so all this sort of stuff, you know, I think that those sort of questions there are really important for us to be you know taking head on, I think. And it's important for us to be uh, not not looking away because it feels uncomfortable, right? Because that list is uncomfortable, right? But that's, you know, being uncomfortable is a lot better than what anybody else is, you know, many people have gone through, so. Yeah, it's a perpetual problem in Alaska, and, and it's one that we really need to all open our eyes to and, and address and say this isn't okay. And I feel like when we when we aren't doing that, we're sort of, it's sort of tacit approval for the way things are. Yeah. So, um, completely different topic, uh, (laughs) tourism, I think is an interesting thing. Um, particularly living here in Juneau where we get a lot of cruise ship traffic, you know, like this year, I think the numbers were, I think we had 125,000, uh, visitors. And I think that in, you know, prior years, uh, we had 1.2 million, you know, 1.1, um, you know, are kind of hovering just above a million. Um, the projection for 2022 is 1.57 million, um, but that's at full capacity. And I, and I think that I keep running into people that are, 
gearing up for 1.57 million visitors and i don't think that they read the the boilerplate the like if we're at full capacity and i think that's a really i think that if we're at full capacity question is a is a <laughs> is a big one that we're that we're kind of just like uh closing our eyes and ears and la 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 lying um you know, so I don't know what we're going to see in 2022, but I don't think it's going to be 1.57 million visitors. And I think that we're going to have a lot of repercussions as a result of that, because, um, tourism is a big part of Alaska's economy. I think, uh, one in 10 jobs prior to the pandemic was, uh, in the, in the tourist industry or related to tourism. And, uh, you know, when, when an industry like that doesn't bounce back overnight, um, I think it, it's going to be meaningful. And so depending on what happens in 2022, it could spell some big, um, could, could spell, could mean some big news for, for our future. And for, um, you know, if we're looking at a much slower recovery, uh, which is what I anticipate, I think, you know, in, in 2008, we had the, the great recession and it took us, you know, it took us many years, like it took us like what, five years or something like that to bounce back from, from mm-hmm. those lows. And so I think that, this pandemic isn't going to just turn the lights back on overnight. And especially when we're talking about cruise ships, which are big Petri dishes (laughs) floating on the ocean. I mean, I think one of the things that is, is really, I think was really interesting about that, like that five week magical period at the beginning of the summer where everything like seemed cool again, is that like, I think there is this really big pent up demand to travel and to get out and to see the world. And especially I think for people to like, cross things off the bucket list right because we don't yeah. it was all of a sudden we're, we found out how quickly it can like be taken away from us so you know if there's any hope about it i think there is i hope there's a day where you know we can plan more than a month or two ahead of time and and sort of take advantage of these opportunities to get out and and to see stuff because you know um my my parents have not visited alaska a whole bunch but moving down to anchorage has made it a lot easier and uh, as soon as things were kind of, you know, feeling like they were loosening up in, in, in June of this year when everyone was starting to get vaccinated, like they were up on one of the first flights, you know, they could. And I think it was for them, it was this really great experience to be able to go out and see some glaciers and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I don't know how I don't know if that translates into 1.75 million people, but um, I think that there's, you know, a lot of pent up demand for it and hopefully there's some bounce back in it. But again, you know, it's all completely contingent on how the pandemic is going. So, well, that's actually the silver lining really in the tourism is that the independent travelers spend so much more time and money and attention to our state uh, than, than like the cattle call tourism Mm. Uh, businesses like my own. Like I had a really great summer this year um, because we had so many independent travelers and so many people that were like friends of family visiting um, that weren't they, being told to not go past the light or whatever the y- clock. Yeah, yeah. You know, they weren't, they weren't just like, you know, herded out to the glacier and back onto the ship again. They had time to like walk around downtown and explore the shops and like, and you know, I talked to a lot of the other shop owners and they had really, really good springs this year. And it was, um, you know, this is probably the best spring we've had since our store opened, you know, even oh, wow. including all the pre pandemic years. Um, and then the summer, you know, when the cruise ships came in, we didn't really see a bump in the traffic, you know, is it because they're just good at containing their they keep all know, their people at the cruise ship owned stores, right? Right. Yeah. It's well, they're pre- preventing leakage, right? Yeah. It's like that you don't want you don't want money that you could have captured in your ecosystem to leak out to all these independent yeah. business owners. 
Um, so uh, yeah, so I don't really, you know, like I don't really mourn the loss of our, of our, you know, kind of industrial tourism. I know that impacts the community in other ways because we're losing a lot more like head tax dollars. We're losing a lot of uh, sales tax dollars. We're losing a lot of uh, important business for the business, you know, like the guy that drives the bus to the, to the glacier, that's a job. And so I think that they're, those are important for me to keep in mind, like as a small business owner, like even though I'm benefiting from independent travel, like the loss of cruise ships mm-hmm. is not great on a kind of a macro scale um, for Alaska, but it'll, we'll, I guess we'll see kind of how that goes. And I don't think it'll be a complete loss. It'll just be a, a kind of an attrition and a slow rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like in the grand scheme of things, just like how, you know, like the the greater number of independent travelers is really, I think, just interesting to see and to watch to see if that is a trend that continues to develop. You know, is it something that, you know, is that a different, is, our, is the overall travel tourism, you know, market shifting? And it's, you know, obviously way too early to, to tell, but I think, it you know, stuff like that, you know, especially changes with, you know, how we work is really interesting too. I think there's, just a lot of kind of unknowns that transitions that hopefully are for the better coming out of this. So, And then, you know, like getting into sort of more arts and culture stuff, there's a lot of really cool, big notes for Alaska this year. Um, uh, Rico and Crystal Worrell uh, run the Trickster Company and were our neighbors downtown here in Juneau for a long time. Uh, Rico got a USPS stamp, uh, which is just beautiful. Um, a raven, it's got some like little sparkly stars on it. And then I, you know, I got, I bought a ton of them. So I'm sending like all my mail has those stamps on it. Um, Rico and his sister Crystal also did a, a Google wallpaper this year. Um, and, and Crystal put up a giant Elizabeth Paradovich mural uh, on the side of the library downtown. Which I had to see, uh, like two weeks ago oh my god it is even better in person i mean i guess that makes sense but it's just it's really breathtaking it's It's this awesome beautiful colorful yeah it's a it's gorgeous and it's and it's nice to see uh you know that a civil rights leader and an indigenous woman celebrated in that way it's like you know like i feel like our town should be covered with elizabeth pradovich like she should Mm -hmm. be a, a a big pride for our community you know, uh, Michaela Goad uh, is uh, an illustrator from Juno um, who uh, won the Caldecott uh, Medal this year, and that is that's a big deal. If you if you read children's books, you see that little like shiny sticker on there. That's the Caldecott. Mm-hmm. Um, there's I think uh, I don't remember how many five maybe honor Caldecott honor recipients each year, and then one Caldecott medalist, and so. You know, like that's a big deal that she won the Caldecott, um, you know, like ask a librarian. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, the other thing that was cool was the Met Gala, um, the Met Gala. We saw um, uh, Quanah Chasing Horse, like just sort of sprung into uh, the public eye and then has just been running in a sprint ever since. And mm-hmm. it's really neat to see Alaskans just out in the world and being recognized. And um, Lydia Jacoby won the Olympic gold medal. Uh, that was just such a beautiful moment this year. Uh, Emma Broyles, Miss America, another one that was, you know, I just watching everyone like freak out about these things is, is so much fun. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's great to see how it brings people together. Um, and then, and then the other thing on my list was the, uh, rock, Oc, uh, music festival, which was an indigenous music festival here in Juneau. It was, uh, meant to be the first big in-person event, but they, they got this grant and they're like, well, we're going to do it anyways. And so they came up with a great plan 
um, for uh, a really good COVID plan. They had the bands play locally. A lot of them played locally, and then they broadcast it out as like a live stream. So it was this concert that people all over the place could attend. So it was actually really accessible for people outside of Juno. So it had a huge viewership and uh, really great music. And I'm excited to see how that evolves. I think it's going to be a, an event that continues to happen in the next several years. The um, uh, Stephen Blanchett of Pamua was the creative director and is just doing amazing things. And so that was, that was really, really fun to, to see and be around. Um, yeah. And then the, and then we are entering a new active, uh, cycle of the Northern lights, which is exciting. We had probably our best Northern lights day I've ever seen in Juneau this year. It was in like November and it was just everywhere. It was like, it was as good or better as the Northern Lights I've seen up in Fairbanks. And it was just, uh, it was, it was intense and I'm excited for, you know, five more years of increasing solar activity <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can watch the sky. I've been bad about seeing the Northern Lights in Anchorage. I haven't seen hardly any of them, but also I don't stay up very late. So, yeah. Well, I mean, here we're we're overcast so often we like never see them. You know, it was it was a big deal for us. Yeah, you know, the best Northern Lights I ever saw too were was in Juneau. It was like the night that the house was doing the budget. You know, one of those like the the, the two a.m. morning sort of things. And me and a couple other people said, "Eh, the budget will be passed in the morning. Our deadlines are already passed anyways." So skipped out on it. Went and watched Northern Lights, and it was just the most beautiful. Especially there, if you get out onto the into the out of just downtown, there's some really great like viewing areas for it there. So, well, yeah. like God for it, yeah. Maybe you know, hopefully, one of these times that we get back down to Juno, I'll get to go see him there. What well, Juno to see the Northern Lights? That was actually another highlight of of 2021 for me. I I love that you guys came to town. It was really nice to see you. No, oh, yeah. uh, you came down for uh, James's wedding or or celebration of his of his marriage, and it was just so good to see everyone. It was it was nice to hang out and. Uh, have an awkward uh, brunch. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that like really like filled our hearts a lot. I think that's one of the things that the whole pandemic, especially this year, I feel like where we had, you know, glimpse of hope and then it kind of felt like ripped away from us is that I think I, you know, I've come to really value and appreciate a lot more of the time that I spend with friends um, and, and family and loved ones and, um, you know, I invested more in our own personal space, but you know, it's always, it feels so good to be able to share something you love with other people, you know, whether that be food or, or, or you know, shows or, or a game or just talking is, is been really good. And I think, um, you know, it, if anything that the pandemic has made me definitely savor, um, time with others a lot more. Well, may we all have a, a wonderful 2022, and uh, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, thank you. Everyone go get boosted so we can all hang out more. Yes, please. All right. Goodbye, Alaska. Bye, Alaska. Hey, that was nice. All right. Only an hour and a half. That wasn't too bad. Yeah, I'll, I'll chop it up a bit.